To this place, whoever you are, wanderer, worshipper, lover of learning, all seekers after what is true, all who seek a community of compassion and diversity. Come, come to this place, whoever you are, though you've broken your vows a thousand times and you're too busy and you don't have the time. Come, come to this place, whoever you are lovers of wisdom, lovers of humanity, lovers of beauty. Come to this place where a love we do not make surrounds us and lifts us and nurtures us. Come, come to this place, whoever you are. Ours is a community not of despair, but of hope. Not a place of pious judging, but of glad thanksgiving. Not a place of certainty, but of searching. Come, come to this place, whoever you are. Come, yet again, come. These opening words written by the Unitarian Universalist minister Daniel Budd and of course inspired by the poet Rumi, they welcome all who have gathered on Zoom this morning to take part in our Sunday service. Welcome too to regular members of the congregation, to friends and visitors who are with us today. Also to those who might be listening in via the podcast or watching on YouTube at a later date. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name's Jane Blackall and I've been part of this congregation for pretty much 22 years now. I think it's close to my anniversary weekend. I'm the ministry coordinator with Kensington Unitarians and for just one more week, I am your ministry student on placement as I finish up my training with Unitarian College. The theme of this morning's service is books that changed our life. This is an idea that came up from one of our midweek coffee mornings online a few weeks ago for reasons that have already pretty much escaped me. We each started picking random books off our shelves and talking about them, however weird they were. It was a great conversation starter and one I thought that we could bring along on a Sunday morning. So a few weeks back, I put a call out to a few congregation members to ask if they might be willing to talk about a book that changed their life maybe something spiritual or philosophical or ethical, or maybe not, maybe something more frivolous, and to share a little of their own life story in telling of that book. Thankfully, a few kind volunteers came forward. So today I'll be leading the service with help from Pat 
and Marianne, Maria and Hannah, who will each offer their personal reflections on the theme. We're going to be hearing about a fascinating selection of books that made a difference in each of their lives. It's great stuff. Before we go any further, though, let's do what we need to do to make sure we've fully arrived. You might want to wiggle and stretch, scrunch up your shoulders and let them go. Or perhaps pause to take a conscious breath. Let's set aside, if we can, anything that we don't need to be holding on to for this next hour. And do feel free, as we always say, to turn your camera off. That might make it easier for you to focus. We do love to see all your lovely faces and get a sense of who's here. But if you prefer to keep a low profile, that is just fine. There'll be various opportunities to join in as we go along, but they're all entirely optional. Whoever you are, however you are, you are welcome in this gathering just as you are. I'm going to light our chalice now, as I do each Sunday and at other times when we gather. This is just a simple ritual which connects us with Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists the world over, and it reminds us of the proudly progressive historic religious tradition of which this little gathering is part. Here, today, in this place and with these people, may we listen so that we can hear, may we hear so that we can feel, may we feel so that we can know, and may we know so that we can change ourselves and this world for the better. May this little chalice flame that we kindle light our way. And let's think of all those joys and concerns we've heard expressed those windows into our shared human condition and the life of the wider world and take them into an extended time of prayer and reflection now based on some words by john saxon you might want to get comfortable before we start you might want to close your eyes or soften your gaze perhaps focus on the chalice flame if there's a posture that helps you to feel more prayerful then you might want to adopt that too, whatever works. Whatever gets you into the right state of body and mind for us to pray together, to be fully present in this sacred time and space with ourselves, each other, and that which is both within us and beyond. Spirit of life, God of all love, in whom we live and move and have our being. As we turn our attention to the depths of this life, the cosmic mystery and wisdom that abides in all that is, we tune into your holy presence within us and amongst us. Our words might fail us, our minds might fail us. When we ponder the enormity diversity, complexity, wonder and beauty of this universe, this world. And yet we sense more than know that our lives are part of a larger life, that we are connected with everyone and everything in one interdependent web of being. And there's something both imminent and transcendent that nurtures and sustains our life and life itself. Something that calls us all to greater wholeness and harmony. We give thanks this day for all the gifts and blessings of life. For this very day for the beauty and the wonder and the mystery of creation, for our families and friends, for health and work, for opportunities to learn and love and grow, for the care and support of others in times of illness or despair. 
but let us remember too that others here in this very Zoom room across the country and around the world live in poverty, hunger, fear, illness, isolation and violence and insecurity. So many are ground down by systems of injustice and oppression. So in the silence of this gathering and the silence of our hearts, may we hear the call to a wider perspective and a deeper resolve. May we live with greater compassion and care for ourselves and others and all creation. May we touch each other more deeply, hear each other more clearly and see each other's joys and sorrows as our own. May we strive to be and become more than we are, more loving, more forgiving, more kind, more honest, more authentic, more open, more connected, more whole. And yet, paradoxically perhaps, may we accept ourselves just as we are in this moment and know that we are truly enough. May we heal and be healed. May we face the uncertainties and tragedies of life with hope and faith and courage, knowing that life is ultimately good and we are never really alone. And in a few moments of silence now, may our hearts speak inwardly all the prayers of our lives our greatest joys and deepest sorrows, our triumphs and failures, regrets and fears, disappointments and losses, our hopes and dreams. Spirit of life, God of all love, as this time of prayer comes to a close, we offer up our joys and our concerns, our hopes and our fears, our beauty and our brokenness. And we call on you for insight, healing and renewal. As we look forward to the coming week, help us to live well each day and be our best selves, using our unique gifts in the service of love, justice and peace. Amen. So our first hymn today continues the prayerful mood, Come and Find the Quiet Centre. It speaks of making space in our often busy and complex lives to be still, to focus on what matters most, to connect with the spirit and with our common humanity as we do each time we gather together here. The words will appear on your screen in the moment for you to sing along. We'll try and make sure you will stay muted. And if you don't fancy singing, it's absolutely fine just to listen instead.
was my birthday in August 1978 and I was living a very reclusive life in a bedsit near Finchley Road tube station. I had stopped working and was living on benefits so money was tight. A nice neighbour who lived in the bedsit next to mine knocked on my door and gave me a card which contained a £5 book voucher. I was so touched by his kindness and also excited about getting a new book. I took myself off to WH Smith in Finchley Road to see what was on offer. I was there a while looking at novels and could find nothing of interest. I must have disturbed the bookshelf as a book fell to my feet and when I looked down I saw The Magic of Findhorn. I picked it up and started to read straight away. This was a book about a community of people in North, London, North Scotland who lived in harmony and co-created with nature. They spoke with nature spirits and listened to inner guidance. I bought the book and read it from cover to cover in a few hours. From when I was a child, I had always known of other realms and spoken to nature spirits. So I knew I had to visit this place. I had just enough money to take me there and stay for a week. I booked my place. When I arrived, I was overwhelmed. I had not expected so many people and I was out of my comfort zone. I did not really like being with people and I had expected a nice quiet time with nature. I had to share a room with a stranger and there were no locks on any doors except the bathroom. So I spent, I spent quite a lot of time there on the first day. Over the week, I gradually and slowly opened up in this loving community and embraced their work as love in action, learnt more about inner listening and definitely enjoyed co-creating with nature. It was a wonderful, if somewhat uncomfortable experience and I knew I needed to be there longer, but I had no money. I was told that I could stay and pay them when I was able. So I stayed for another fortnight and spent my time working in the gardens. This included communicating with moles to ask if they would dig their hills in nearby fields so that our plants could grow undisturbed. On arriving back in London, there was a letter for me from the Inland Revenue containing a tax rebate, which exactly covered the cost of my extended stay. This book, The Magic of Findhorn, took me on a journey that transformed my life. It was a way back to trusting myself and realising the importance of community. I later went on to be employed as a community worker in a neighbourhood centre in Hammersmith and loved working there for 25 years. Thanks so much, Pat, for sharing your story and how that book falling at your feet took you on a life-changing adventure. Our next reflection is from Marianne on the impact that a translation of the Psalms had on her own spiritual journey. When I was a teenager at school, we had one hour of religion per week. Few of us took it seriously because even a total fail in the final exam did not mean that you would be prevented from moving up a class. Like the others, I did not take the class seriously until a new young priest was appointed. He was a very gentle soul and was the butt of endless jokes, which he seemed to be quite unaware of. I liked him a lot. One day, he brought a book by Paul Claudel entitled Psalms Translations and from then on he read a psalm to us every week. Paul Claudel was a French poet, dramatist and diplomat and the younger brother of the sculptor Camille Claudel. He was famous for his verse dramas such as The Tidings Brought to Mary and the satin slipper, which convey his devotion to the Catholic faith. Often accused of misogyny 
anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, he was also regarded as one of the 20th century greatest dramatists. Thomas Merton described Claudel's poems based on the Psalms as the themes of the Psalms getting restated in his own words. Merton said, the Psalms entered the poet's whole life and being, became part of him. And then they came forth from the poet's heart brand new. He described Claudel as a 20th century psalmist, saying over again what David and the others said thousands of years ago. As a girl of 16, prisoner of a strict Catholic austere upbringing, revolving around mortal sin and the wrath of a vindictive God, I was completely transfixed by the beauty of the Psalms and their strange mix of brisk rawness with the sublime. And how did the writer dare talk to God in such a familiar tone, using, using the French tu? His direct address to a very personal God, haranguing, cajoling, despairing, calling for mercy, brought me close to the loving God I longed for. Then came the long years of doubt until I discovered at the cusp of my 50th birthday, the whirling dervishes of the study society here in London. A friend of mine invited me to the turning ceremony, as we call it, at Collett House, the home of the study society in Barons Court. He explained to me that the tradition of whirling had been brought to Collett House in the early 60s by a senior sheikh of the Mevlevi Dervish Order in Turkey. The Mevlevi turning was inspired over 700 years ago by the great Sufi mystic philosopher and poet Jalaluddin Rumi, who would praise God whilst whirling. This dance was then formalized by his followers into the ceremony you can still see today, every Friday at Collet House. I remember being shaken to the core by the austere ceremony, the white robes and the lament from the pipe called Nay. Very shortly after, I dreamt that I was turning. When I woke up, I knew that I wanted to be a dervish. And lo and behold, the yearly training was scheduled to start the following week. Soon, I was in the tube at 6 a.m., ready for a grueling training over a period of six weeks until I was finally allowed to wear my white robe and fly. Come, come, whoever you are, said Rumi. At the time, the sheikh was Norwegian. The Samazan Bashi, who keeps everyone in order, was British Jewish. There was a Jordanian, a Venezuelan, several Turks, and a few Brits. I loved the turning with all my heart and accepted the pain for those wonderful glimpses of stillness in which I found a deep rest. I think that the reading of Paul Claudel's Psalms so long ago did change my life and awoke in me a devotion to a God of all love, a devotion which was to be lost for many years and found again in the cosmic dance of the dervishes and Rumi's passionate poetry. And what of that passion today, you may well ask? Devotion has waxed and waned throughout my life, but today I feel comfortable drifting from knowing 
to unknowing in our spiritual home. All the while knowing, however, that all will be well. Come, come, whoever you are, said Rumi. Come, come, whoever you are, echoed my Unitarian Church. Thanks so much, Marianne, for sharing some insight into your spiritual journey with us. So we've come now to a time of meditation. Again, you might like to have a wiggle to get yourself comfortable in your chair, perhaps get your feet flat on the floor to help ground yourself. You might want to close your eyes. In a few minutes, we'll have our virtual chalice flame on screen. There'll just be a few simple words, a few simple prompts to take us into our time of meditation today. It'll be followed by three minutes of shared stillness during which we'll have this virtual chalice on the screen. And the silence will end with some beautiful music, Sicilienne by Von Paradis, performed by our music scholar Abby on cello and accompanied by Peter Cropford on piano. As ever, these are just offerings and you're free to think your own thoughts and meditate in your own way. So as we enter into this time of meditation, I invite you to ponder on the books that have changed your life, maybe in dramatic ways, maybe in ways that are more subtle. Perhaps there were books that were read to you in childhood that shaped your sense of right and wrong. Maybe books which gave you a sense of possibilities and hopes and dreams which you've held before you all your life. Maybe as you grew older, you were challenged by reading of lives and experiences and worldviews that were quite unlike yours and which expanded your horizons. Or maybe you were affirmed by reading stories which resonated with your own life, which helped to reassure you that you were not alone. Maybe your life has been changed by books too many times to count. So in this time of silence, I encourage you to just follow wherever your mind leads as you meditate on the transformative power of books.
I had to think about this for a day or two. Was it Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings? Or Zadie Smith's White Teeth, the first time I saw myself in a book? No, they were both too recent. And on in reality and on reflection, the book that really changed my life was the autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley. Reading this book at the end of secondary school in 1992 was part of my teenage rebellion and awakening. I found Malcolm's oratory more compelling, intriguing and relatable than Martin Luther King, who he's often compared to. A few years earlier, I had learned about the transatlantic slave trade. I was devastated. It changed how I felt about myself, my family, my history, my identity and the world. Malcolm's no-nonsense response based on self-determination and education seemed an adequate radical response to a radical situation. He wrote, the common goal of 22 million African-Americans is respect as human beings, the God-given right to be a human being. Our common goal is to obtain the human rights that America has been denying us. We can never get civil rights in America until our human rights are first restored. We will never be recognized as citizens until we are first recognized as humans. Though attributed to America, it felt real to me in the UK. Now, 60 years after he wrote those words. His unquenchable thirst for knowledge, intelligence, the ability to convey the feeling and frustration of the oppressed was an inspiration that has fueled my own choices to this day. He wrote, my alma, my alma mater was books, a good library. I could spend the rest of my life reading, just satisfying my curiosity. I could relate to that. I found his journey continuum of developing identity and self-reflection equally intriguing and inspiring. From Malcolm Little to Malik al-Shabazz, from Harlem to Mecca, where his radicalism became fueled by peace and love. His conversion led to my respect for Islam the peacefulness and poetry of the Quran. Through Islam, I continued to search for a spiritual practice that reflected my passions and values, which I did when I discovered Unitarianism by the BBC website for religion. One of my favorite words from Malcolm was, And so I have Malcolm's autobiography to thank for igniting that search for the missing jigsaw piece. And one of my favorite words from him was, we need more light about each other. Light creates understanding. Understanding creates love. Love creates patience. And patience creates unity. Thanks so much, Maria, for that powerful echo of Malcolm X's call for self-determination and education and curiosity. Our final reflection now is from Hannah, who in true Unitarian style has taken a slightly different approach with a presentation on her love of books, which she's titled The Librarian's Daughter. When Jane asked about the theme, books that changed our lives. I couldn't pick just one or even two, 
so I asked instead to share a compilation of vignettes of book moments throughout my life that have made me who I am. The Librarian's Daughter I grew up in the library. Lucky enough to have a public library at the end of our quarter-mile lane in the countryside, one of my earliest memories is walking down the lane with my mother, my brother, and a big empty red wagon trailing behind. Between the three of us, we would fill it up with books and haul it back home for weeks of entertainment. Although there weren't rules to limit anyone's reading in my home, on one of those trips to the Nile Library, I apparently picked out a grown-up book. An anthropological tome with a bright red cover entitled Lucy, The Beginnings of Humankind. As a librarian checked out our books, she told my mom she would quietly set it aside, thinking that I wouldn't notice, as I was apparently too young to read it in her eyes. I, however, did notice, and I was upset. Not even two years old, I saw that book was missing from my red wagon, and I stomped all the way home. Needless to say, there was no further censorship of my reading, accidental or otherwise. Around that same time, although I don't remember personally, my mom tells me that one day I was meant to have a nap. Instead, she and my older brother both fell asleep on the bed and later awoke to find me sitting there happily beside them, surrounded by a pile of books. It is sometimes suggested that people shouldn't eat alone. I say you can't be alone if you have a book. As a young girl, my book of choice was called Tatterhood. It was a collection of folk tales, but I came back over and over to the story of the young woman riding her goat and branding her wooden spoon. Looking back, it's no wonder that I felt brave enough to charge out into the world. I had no idea, but in preparing this little piece, I discovered that the subtitle of that edited volume was Feminist Folk Tales from Around the World. I wonder how much of my desire to explore, to travel, to learn about languages and cultures was cultivated in those moments, feet folded under me on a tall stool as I flipped pages with one hand and ate with the other. As a young reader, when I found an author I liked, I devoured book after book until their collection was exhausted. I'm not sure now what I saw in Walt Morey or Cynthia Voigt, Perhaps it was the local connection, Walt Morey's books being set predominantly in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, and featuring connections between animals and humans, that interdependent web of all existence. Or maybe I just loved the idea of people setting off into the wild to discover themselves. While Cynthia Voigt's work was never short on adventure, so maybe I owe some of my own independence to 13-year-old Dicey, the brave leader of journey after journey with her three siblings in tow. Later, my reading was more obviously shaped by cultural and political forces, such as an interest in books written by Middle Eastern women that grew from 9-11. I wanted to understand what life was for others. As I have moved around the world, I have toured the world's literature, finding comfort and joy in names that once sounded foreign like Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie and Haruki Murakami. In fact, these interests were apparent early, as evidenced by a very loved copy of UNICEF's Children Just Like Me. As a child in a small town, I traveled by reading. The Little Prince has shown me that you can love a book without even knowing if you have ever actually read it cover to cover. In our home library, there was a beautiful illustrated copy of The Little Prince. It belonged to my mother before she was my mother. Perhaps loving that book isn't so different from loving my mom. I started collecting it. In Spanish and French first as I studied them, then in German, Korean, and Italian, languages whose pieces I picked up along the way, then even in Hebrew and Hindi whose scripts were beyond my grasp. Thus, the little prince has been with me, as has my mother, the librarian, as I carried those stories with me, physically, spiritually, and intellectually, on every last adventure. Thanks so much, Hannah, and thanks everyone for your contributions today. It's been a delight.
we've got one more hymn now with heart and mind not one that we sing often as far as i can recall but i think the words are lovely they speak of the human search for goodness and truth and freedom a search that perhaps is echoed through some of those stories that we've heard about today those qualities that we've found through reading as always we'll try and make sure you're muted so feel free to sing along or listen as you'd rather Just a few announcements now. Uh, thanks to Jenny for hosting today, to Abby and Peter for the wonderful music, and of course to Pat, Marianne, Hannah, and Maria for the contributions. I reckon we could do at least one more of these services later in the year, so do get in touch if you've got some books you want to talk about. Um, as always, there are a number of opportunities to connect with the congregation in the week ahead. Coffee morning at 10.30 on Tuesday, as usual. Uh, you can still sign up for Heart and Soul, our contemplative spiritual gathering, though there are only one or two spaces left. This week, the theme is healing. Um, don't forget, we have virtual coffee time after the service to chat in small groups if you'd like. And if you can bear it, we still like to take a group photo after the service. So do stick around for that. Brian is hosting a poetry sharing session on Zoom on Wednesday at seven o'clock. So please let Brian know or email me and I'll pass it on so that you can get the Zoom link for that. These groups have a simple format. You choose a poem you like or one you've written yourself and that you'd like to share with a group. And you let Brian have the poem in advance so that you can collect them all together and share the written versions round in advance. Next Saturday, 1st of May, the West London Green Spirit Group have a Beltane event also on Zoom, gathering from 10 to 3 for a 3 o'clock start and ending by half past 4. All are welcome to join this celebration of Earth's fertility and spring's greening in music, words and silence, sharing and time for contemplation. To book for that, please contact Sarah Tinker or uh, David. Um, all the emails for this contact are in the weekly email. We'll be back again on Zoom next week at 10 o'clock. Tell your friends. It's fine to share the link. And feel free to drop us a line during the week to get in touch if you'd like to say hello. Don't forget, too, that we've also got our fledgling pastoral network set up. And there's more information about that in the weekly email, too, or on the website if you'd like to arrange a chat with one of us.
So I've just got some brief closing words now, followed by some more lovely music from Abby and Peter. So why not select gallery view now if you can, so that we can all see each other and get a sense of our collected community for the closing. I send you out now to share yourself with the world. May its promise and complexity set your mind ablaze. May you hold fast to what your life has taught you. May you question everything. And when you have changed the world and the world has changed you, may you return again to this place and share what you have learned with us. Amen. <laughs>